0: 685, the great discussion preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, May 19, 1974. And the text is taken from Mark, the ninth chapter, the thirty-fourth verse. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Gospel according to Mark, the ninth chapter, beginning at the thirty-third verse. And they came to Capernaum. and when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But the disciples were silent. For on the way, they had discussed with one another who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If any one would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Amen. lieutenants of Jesus were always having great discussions amongst themselves, and usually the discussions had to deal with the same topic, greatness. <laughs> Who is the greatest? Times change, armies change, but soldiers never change how we are like those particular soldiers in God's first army we today who are soldiers of the Lord how much we are like them for we too are people who in our discussions dot them with discussions and conversation as To the topic of greatness. (coughs) Why else do we put in our conversations things such as this? I know so and so. Somebody told me this. You see, when we talk about where we come from, where we are going, what we have done, what we hope to do, who our children are, who our parents and grandparents were, What are we doing if we are not trying to identify ourselves with greatness? That's why we do it. And just let some preacher try to call us on it, (laughs) and we become angry, defensive, we deny it, or we become like those soldiers in Jesus' first army. We become as silent as stone with embarrassment. So you see, that's, that's what it said says here in the 33rd and 34th verses. When Jesus asked his disciples, what were you talking about, they became silent because they had been discussing with one another who is the greatest. You know, I really can't understand why it is that all of us become embarrassed and silent when we are accused of talking or at least thinking about being great. I don't know why it is, there's something in the human being. The just does not like it when someone says, you're trying to become great. I don't know where we got this idea. We don't get it from the Bible. I don't remember any place where Jesus condemns, criticizes, or tries to embarrass anyone because he's trying to become great. But nevertheless, like the disciples, We become silent with shame when we are accused of it. Did you see here? Nowhere in this passage, at least, does Jesus say to the disciples, oh, you shouldn't talk about that. It's wrong for a person to want to become great. Jesus never said that. Never. The disciples became silent with shame, but it was not because Jesus criticize or condemn such a desire. As a matter of fact, I personally believe, though many Bible students disagree with me, I personally believe that God, through Jesus Christ, wants us to be great. I believe that God sent forth his Son into this world just not to make people good, but to make them great. knows god does he created us in jesus being like us in all respects and and understanding what is in man he knows that there is the desire within each one of us blue blood and red-blooded people the desire to want to be great and i don't think god nor jesus condemns that particular desire And here in this particular instance, he takes that opportunity, which has been brought about by a discussion of greatness, not to condemn the particular desire that is on those disciples' hearts, but rather to teach them how to become great the Christian way. There is a Christian way to become great, and Jesus, without condemning the desire, tries very hard here to set down the prescription which is necessary to follow if any disciple is going to become great. You see, Jesus did not want anyone to get the idea that greatness is always the direct result of success. Granted, there are successful people who are great but it is not their success that has made them great. Remember that successful farmer about whom Jesus speaks in one of his parables, the one who had so much success in raising crops that his barns couldn't hold them all? Jesus didn't call that successful farmer great. He called him a fool. Jesus never wanted anybody to get the idea that success depends upon one's material possessions. The rich young ruler, you know, the Bible says he had great possessions. But when you read that story, you find his great possessions did not make him great. As a matter of fact, was the possessions that kept him from being great. You see, Jesus never wanted any of us to get an idea that just because we write a title before our name and maybe several degrees after our name, that is not what makes a person great. Just because somebody has ability or has developed some skills, that or those do not make people. Great. Jesus wanted his disciples, you and me, to see what it is that makes people what all of us want to become. Great. Two things. Two things. The first is a spirit of humility. Jesus said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all he must have that spirit of at least willing to be last of all now i know some people who find what i think is false security from this particular teaching you know the type of individual he feels that the serial number which god has given to him in the area of talents and abilities is filled only with zeros, has nothing. When it comes to looks, beauty, attractiveness, nothing. When it comes to intelligence, the person thinks there's nobody as stupid as he or she. When it comes to ability, nothing. When it comes to prestige, power, and influence and position, nothing. When it comes to having a desire, nothing. You know that type of person. And this is the type of person that Dr. Harris talks about in his book on transactional analysis when he tries to describe the first lifestyle, the I'm not okay position. That's the person, you see, who thinks that he is last on life's ladder, on the last run. He is the one who was behind the door when God passed out all the gifts and blessings of life. You talk to that individual. You know the kind of person he is. He does not have the spirit that we're talking about. He may have a situation, he may have a sickness, yes, but he does not have that spirit. Just because you think that you are lax, please do not identify yourself as being the person that Jesus is talking about here. Jesus here is talking about that individual who does feel that he has been richly blessed, who believes he is beautiful because God created him, who believes that he is important, because God loves him and Jesus Christ died for him. The individual who feels that he does have a mind that can work and can solve things because God has given him that mind. He is is a person who has ability because he knows that God has given him the resources and the ability to work hard to develop those skills. He knows that he has a right, a right, mind you, to be in competition for the head of the line. If not at the head, somewhere near the top. He has a right to be there. But, and this is the catch, but he chooses, he chooses voluntarily because of a spirit of humility to be willing to be last. The person who is last, not because of conditions, but a person who is last because he chooses to be there. That's the great person. The one who has that spirit, that spirit of humility which says, I have a light to shine. I'm not going to put it under the bushel. But I'm not going to put other people's light out with it either. That's a great spirit, and believe me, it's rare. The place that I think I saw it best in example. When I was a, was when I was a student at Princeton Theological Seminary. And dear classmate of mine is, is Don Moomaw. Now, those of you who have been following football for more than 15 years, you'll recognize the name. He was the All-American of All-Americans back in 1953, linebacker, UCLA. And Don and I spent three years together at the Seminary. He's quite a chap. He's now pastor of the Great Presbyterian Church out in California. What a mammoth of a guy. For three years I literally sat in his shadow. Moomaw, M-O-O, Morledge, M-O-R, and those are the days we sat alphabetically. It's the day when Professor Still took role. We uh, we were always close together and Everybody saw Don, and nobody saw Morlich, because I was behind him. He was the biggest thing I believe I've ever seen. I sat behind him in so many classes. I remember church history class. I didn't see the professor for the first three weeks. That was the day when Don was absent. His neck was so big, he didn't have a neck. He just went up. He's a great guy. And I remember one Sunday afternoon in May, this time of year, he told me a story about what he thought was greatness. Dog traveled a year between graduating US, UCLA and uh, coming to Princeton. He played professional football in, in Canada. And he traveled with Billy Graham on the great England Crusade of 1954. And there on the second floor of Alexander Hall at Princeton, the telephone rang one, one summer morning. And Don was called, and he picked up the phone, and it was his friend, Billy Grapp. And with that southern accented language which the world recognizes that of the great evangelist, hello, Don. How are you? I'm in Princeton to speak at the university tonight. I wondered if it would be possible if I could have just five minutes with Dr. John Mackay, the president of Princeton Seminary. I haven't seen him a long time. You know him, Doc. I know he's a very busy man. I know he's been traveling around the world. I know that he probably doesn't have time for anyone like me. But, Don, if it's possible, would you mind, please, making arrangements? Just five minutes. That's all I want. Five minutes to spend time with a man whom I greatly respect Don assured Billy he would try to do what he could and he hung up the phone and no sooner had he hung it up when it rang again Uh, uh, Donald this is Dr. John Mackay. I I understand that Dr. Graham is going to be in Princeton today now Donald I know you know him (laughs) he's a very busy man Donald I know that Donald, I, I certainly wouldn't want to take any time out of his life, but I would certainly appreciate it, Donald, if you could get just three minutes <laughs> of his scheduled time to be with me. When Don told me that story later that afternoon, my to have tea with both Dr. Mackay and Dr. Graham. I knew that I was in the presence of greatness. Not because of who these men are or what they have done, but because they had that spirit of humility. That's why. A rare commodity in the world today. Choosing to be last of all. But that's only half the ingredient that is necessary for greatness. The other requires a right, receptivity to service, requires that we be alert and be receptive to the opportunities of service. Jesus said, if anyone would be great, he must not only be last of all, but he must be servant of all. Servant! Of all. You see, Jesus said it if you are willing to do it unto the least of one of these my brethren, you do it unto me. And to be able to do anything for anyone, you must be receptive to their particular need or cry. Now Jesus, to illustrate this point, took a little child. I say little child not because that's the way it's translated in either the King James or the Revised Standard, which we read this morning at Barclay and J.B. Phillips in the New English Bible they speak of this child not as just being any child but a little child and it must have been because Jesus picked up that little child if you read those little words in the story and he put him in the midst of all the disciples have you ever been used as a sermon illustration even when it's complimentary it's It's rather embarrassing and difficult and a little frightening. And I present to you the idea that when that little child, who maybe was not even able to walk, and if he could, I'm sure he stood no more than two or, at the most, three feet off the ground, that that little child was scared to death, being surrounded by such men as Peter, who was known as the Rock, and James and John, who were the sons of thunder. And I'm see a little ch- child with the open eyes, the, the quivering lip, and, and fear trembling all over his body. And Jesus said, see that little child? Whosoever receives one such little child in my name receives me, and not only me, but my Father who has sent me. What did he mean? Well, let's look at a child. A child is one that is easily frightened. And Jesus, I think, was saying as he looked at that particular child and had the disciples look at him, that child, he represents the little people in the world who are filled with fear. Receive those people. Help them. Help them. Be a servant. A slave, one translation has it, a servant or a slave to that person. A little child, you know, he he really can't do much for himself, can he? He's rather dependent. He has no prestige, no power. He really can't do anything for you except bring you a lot of trouble and be a nuisance. Jesus said, look at that little child. Look at him. Receive him. Help him. Serve him, become a slave to him. Little child the children have a hard time keeping clean, don't they? I can imagine that little child, the the tears running down the dirt-covered cheeks, causing little puddles of mud to form there on those little dimples. That child Jesus was saying, look at the little people in the world who are crying, who are hurting. Serve them! Serve them! And then Jesus did more than talk. That's the great thing about Jesus, you see, and I wish more Christians could understand it. Jesus knew that talk is cheap, especially in a church. And Jesus not only told people what they ought to do, but he showed them. And he expects us not only to talk about the gospel, but to act it. And then the Bible said, Jesus reached down, and with his arms, with his hands, he took that little child, and he folded and held that little child close in his folded arms to his breast. His hands, those things that you possess, he took those hands and he was willing to make them dirty, allowing them to get hurt or heal, allowing them to sweat. In receiving the dirt The hurting, the little people of the world. Jesus, you know, was a carpenter. He had great, massive hands. I heard a sermon once on the hands of Jesus. These are great tools. Remember later on, Jesus took those same hands And in the presence of these same disciples who were trying to become great, he took a basin of water, he took a towel in his hands, and then getting down on his own knees, he began to wash the dirty feet and dry the feet of his disciples. The servant is not greater than the master. Whatsoever you have seen, do. And then before 24 hours were to pass, those great hands were not holding little children. They were the foundations through which nails were driven. And those hands by which this great man, this great God, lived, also the hands that were pierced and which brought about his death. Look at your hands, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead, just, just look at your hands. Those are the instruments that can make you great. When a hand is attached to a heart that is filled with the spirit of humility, and it reaches up. That makes greatness. You heard about Sally. I've talked to her to you before about her. One of eight children, her mother died very early in life, and she had the responsibility for raising the family as the mother would do. Seven brothers and sisters and a father. She got up at 5 a.m., cooked the meal. She got the other children dressed, off to school. Then she went to school. She would hurry home and do the cleaning and prepare the evening meal. Following that, she would help the younger ones with their studies and then would help bathe them for bed and hear their prayers. And Then she'd come down and study herself until midnight or later. Men would follow the procedure exactly the same day. Saturdays and Sundays were taken up with washing and with cleaning and with baking, and she didn't get to church very often. And her pastor, who meant well but who certainly did not know his sheep, came by and said one day, uh, and lady, we've been missing you at Sunday school, church, young people. Suppose tonight the Lord would call you to heaven. What would you say to the Lord?" The preacher said to this young girl, she said, Pastor, I wouldn't say anything. I would just show him my hands. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, to your son Jesus Christ, who knew that you had given him all things into his hands. He nevertheless chose to become a servant. Though he had the thoughts of God in his heart and mind, he did not count equality with you as being something to be grasped lightly, but he emptied himself voluntarily to become a servant in the form of a man. Father, help us to be great, as Jesus became great and still is great. And now, in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of his Holy Spirit, be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.